welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is there more to human consciousness than what we see around us? What kind of life might exist on the newly discovered exoplanets? What do we really mean when we call an entity a spirit? Hello and welcome to the 680th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben and uh, those out there questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad, Paul. And today we bring you an open line show to deal with a very interesting set of questions from listeners. And uh, we welcome your calls this afternoon. The numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada or 401-766-1240 in Northern Rhode Island. And uh, that is locally as well. And we will uh, monitor emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for those. Our usual co-host for open line shows is our colleague Shane Searway, but Shane was unable to be with us today. A happy anniversary, Shane and Karen. Uh, sitting in for Shane today is our very dear friend and colleague Mark D'Antonio, an astronomer who does all sorts of interesting work, including photo and video analysis for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. So, Mark, it is great to have you on the show. I am so happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me back. Well, Hello it is. Very good. But before we begin, Mark, uh, for those who are uninitiated, uh, not part of the inner circle here, t- tell us a little about yourself. Well, I, I'm uh, the chief photo and video analyst for the Mutual UFO Network, um, and I approach that position from one of science and not uh, you know, the tinfoil hat type approach. Uh, oh, I'll have to get rid of my tinfoil hat then. What's that? Nothing, nothing. Proceed, Mark. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm very hard on the data, Paul, as you know. Yes. Um, I, I try to figure out what something can be uh, in terms of what uh, exists now, in terms of what we know. Now, that doesn't mean I'm closed-minded because I'm trying to work myself out of being able to explain something. I don't want to explain something. I don't want to be able to explain a setting. I don't want to say it looks much like this or it looks more like that or it looks kind of like this known object here, a bird or an insect or a satellite or what have you. If there is no uh, natural explanation or man-made, you know, human-made explanation, then we go for the extraordinary down the line. But it really takes a lot of effort, a lot of analysis, and a lot of bouncing ideas off of colleagues before I'm willing to say that. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 I'm kind of tough that way. And, uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. You know? And I think this goes back to the fact that, you know, I own a business which is a visual effects company, model-making company, and uh, within that business, I'm always asked to create things that aren't real, make them look real. So I'm familiar with hoaxes. Uh, I do computer animation and so forth for uh, shows and, and magazines and so forth. But the bottom line is that, you know, that that can go only so far. And I can pick up when something's been faked. And so I, that's kind of what I do. And so I'm kind of a, uh, I'm not a debunker. I'm kind of more of an explainer. I try to explain things uh, if they're explainable, and I really look for the unexplainable. And you certainly do a good job at it. Uh, we've sat through several of your lectures, and it's just amazing. All right, let's get into our communications from listeners, and several of these have to do with the new exoplanets. And, Mark, if we could uh, ask you once again, uh, what is the story behind the new exoplanets just discovered within the last few weeks, and where are they? Yeah, actually... Yeah, it, it, first of all, I'll just, I didn't give you the rest of the other background, but that's just in the interest of time. 
I'm an astronomer. That's what I got my degree in. So I spent uh, my life uh, looking, basically, and searching for planets around other stars. That's my specialty is exoplanets. So now you see that you know, I have a little bit of knowledge about the subject, so that's why I can speak to it. Um, the star was called TRAPPIST-1, uh, and the uh, star was known to have two planets, um, and the additional research and time, uh, especially from the Spitzer Space Telescope, was able to turn up that there are additional, uh, there were additional planet candidates around this star. Now, the star is 40 light years away, and it's exceedingly dim. It, it's a red dwarf, but it's known as an ultra-cool red dwarf. That doesn't mean far-out neato. It means it's low temperature. And, uh, you know, stars come in a variety of types, as everybody knows, in a variety of colors. Red, are the, red stars are the coolest stars, lowest temperature. And uh, the, the blue-white stars are the hottest. Well, the red star that is TRAPPIST-1 is only about 8% of the sun's uh, intensity and it's very small. So uh, if we put, uh, in fact, comparing comparing that star system to our own, we really want to compare it more to the Jupiter system with all of its moons because the star is uh, bigger than Jupiter, but not by a whole lot. And you compare the moons circling Jupiter better to this star system with its planets than comparing that star system to our sun and its planets. It's strange. So the Jovian system, the Jupiter system, is a better uh, analogy in some ways. So the planets are interesting because they are all, every single one of them, seven of them, they're all very closely spaced to each other, and they're all orbiting this little star within the distance that Mercury orbits our sun. <laughs> so this is uh, incredible because this means that every one of these planets probably has a certain phenomenon that's been that's constraining them, which is called tidal locking. That means that the same side of the planet always faces the star in the same way that the same side of the moon always faces the Earth. Hmm. That's why we never get to see the dark side of the moon from here. And these planets are, are, are amazing because three of the seven are actually within what we would call the habitable zone of this star of TRAPPIST-1. And the habitable zone is, is actually the, the place around the star, uh, as, as many people know, where it's not too hot, not too cold. They call it the Goldilocks zone, uh, you know, from uh, the Three Bears uh, story. And it means that uh, there's potential for liquid water to exist on the surface. Why is that important? That's important because we sprang from liquid water. So in an effort to find life like us, and I know you're fond of saying life not like us, Paul. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in an effort to find life like us, we would search for planets that had liquid water as a beginning. Now, uh, we would never have thought that there could be life under the icy mantle of Europa, which is Jupiter's moon. But when we found those black smoking sulfide chimneys in the bottom of the ocean off mm -hmm. of Oregon, the Juan de Fuca Ridge, and then they were surrounded by life, and we realized that this life was not using photosynthesis to get its energy, but chemosynthesis. Well, that changed everything. You see, and that made it now uh, uh, a very uh, uh, a good idea, say, to, to look for life under Europa that might be using chemosynthesis to survive, because there's no light under those ices that they're that they're making use of. Mm -hmm. So it's a great 
It's a great little system. Uh, it's very compact. And if you're on any one of the planets in that system, let's say uh, planet S, and, and here's how they work. Trappist-1 is the star, and the first planet is called B, little b. And then it's C, D, E, F, G, and H, all lowercase. That's the nomenclature. So Trappist-1, H, okay, is the outermost one. It's also the most controversial one because you know, we didn't get enough data on that one yet. We've only had a few observations that have come in that I've seen. So I don't see a whole lot of information uh, yet. Uh, but it's being called a planet, and I, I think that other researchers have figured out uh, why uh, it, it's really there. Um, but let's okay. take a look at let's Let's consider TRAPPIST-1F. This planet is really kind of, you know, it, it, it's it's sitting literally uh, out at, uh, well, let me say this. It's, it's 0. 0.04 astronomical units from its star. Now, we're one astronomical unit from our star. That's 93 million miles. So this planet is only 0.04 of that distance, okay? And that means that at, at that distance, uh, it, it will still be tidally locked, facing the same side facing the star. However, it's also going to have a uh, it's also going to have a interesting um, uh, interesting dilemma. <laughs> With one side facing the star, it could get very warm. All right, and 37 million miles is still 37 million miles, okay, but the star is going to be huge in the sky, and if you're on that planet and you look in the sky, you might actually see the other planets in the sky, some of them as big as our moon. So it'd be a really, truly alien landscape uh, you know, that we would view, and if liquid water could survive there, then perhaps life could survive there. Um, and, and one thing that I want to just point out um, in, in my little filibuster apparently here is that, <laughs> <laughs> sorry is that you know on that planet because the same site faces the star it means that the hottest area of the planet is going to be the side directly under the star but then as you go off to the side and they're in longitude as you move around the circle of the planet you get near the area where the you know, you know the, the nighttime begins or yeah, the, the terminator sunset, right the terminator yeah as you get to that part of the planet um, it's going to have a different biome, a different type of climate and different types of life that may have arose there, arisen there. And on the dark side of the planet, you might think that it's going to be icy, frigidly cold. However, um, we actually have a map of, a, of an exoplanet atmosphere that shows that the planet, even though it's tidally locked, the, the atmosphere does mix and it does bring heat over to the other side, not nearly as much as, of course, on the light side. But it does mix up the planet a nice bit, so you actually get uh, warmer temperatures overall uh, on the dark side. And so maybe there's a different type of life on that side. Maybe the creatures on that side use sonar to navigate uh, and get around and not um, eye. And on the bright side, maybe um, they have eyes, but they're bigger eyes because the star is going to be a little bit dimmer. Um, now, this particular star <clears throat> gives off a lot of its energy in the infrared. So it's not like you could ever see it. In fact, no star like this. Uh, and, and these stars represent, these M stars they're called, at the back end of the stellar scale. These M stars make up the bulk of the stars that are in our galaxy and in the universe. Yet you go outside, you can't see a single one of them with your eye. Okay? Mm, yeah, in fact, yeah. you need a telescope to see some of them because they're so dim. And it's because of that, you know, they're so dim. But, but 
we see that most of the planets we're finding are around these types of stars. Okay. Uh, we probably better get to our questions here. Uh, we're going to zoom right to the questions that came in on Facebook, uh, specifically on this subject. Ben, if you'd start with Mark. Uh, not not the Mark. So it was a different Mark. Don't well, Mark, this is from Mark. <laughs> with a K. And awesome. Mark. And Mark writes to us, I have a question for Mark D'Antonio. Uh, I respect what Ben and Paul say about finding life as we don't know it, uh, but that does not mean there is life as we do know it. Mark, with the right. discovery of these new planets in uh, the TRAPPIST-1 system, does this increase the chance of life as we know it in our galaxy? I think, well, well, well yeah, is, but go ahead, Mark. Yeah, go ahead. All right, I was going to say, the answer in my view um, really is, well, it depends. Because <clears throat> Uh, we don't even know that life as we know it might be replicated elsewhere. We suspect so because we're based on materials that are very plentiful in the universe. We're organic life forms. We see the building blocks of life from which we're made everywhere we look in our solar system practically. So that means it's probably the same everywhere else in other solar systems. So the possibility that there's life as we know it and, and that TRAPPIST-1 has fostered or could foster life as we know it is a possibility but it's not going to be as we know it there's going to be some tremendous differences if we find life there i suspect no one knows for sure of course i love to speculate uh which which is something that you know uh, full of you know astronomers typically don't do but i i do speculate because i think that um trappist one may very well have a different type of life and maybe Maybe there's life forms on TRAPPIST-1G, okay, which is the second to the last planet in the in that solar system that actually uh, have uh, vacations on the dark side, you know, and, and go star watching on the dark side. Uh, <laughs> who knows? So, I mean, it could be a very, very different thing, a very different lifestyle. Uh, certainly if they have eyes, then perhaps it's going to be very uh, different types of eyes because they have to be sensitive more toward the red end of the spectrum. So that will automatically change how the eye uh, works over there. Uh, but it's just fascinating stuff. Absolutely. Well, you think here, when you when you have cave creatures, you know, various species that live in... Uh, totally dark, semi dark, totally dark environments, and particularly in the, in the, uh, the deep oceans below uh, where the light can reach, they tend to have large eyes, as you say, and, and th- this might be a revolution, uh, I should say, an evolutionary principle that's pretty universal. That, that's true, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because there's another thing, too. If you notice, when we look at creatures, by and large, they have two eyes, alright? When we look at creatures that are on the land, they have, um, legs to propel themselves around, they have binocular vision like we do um, their heads are uh, in general able to lift up above their body to give them a look around and they have uh, a symmetry to their body so because most of the life forms we see on the earth have that along with the human you know perhaps such symmetry is something that is dictated by the universe in terms of when, when you evolve as, as evolution proceeds and I do believe that um, evolution has a huge impact. It has the, obviously the biggest impact on what a life form will end up becoming. Because here on Earth, we've survived five major extinction events where over, you know, 98% of the life in one case, uh, in the great Permian dying, uh, was wiped right off the planet, yet we still survived. Mm-hmm. Further, there's theories that suggest that the entire Earth was a frozen snowball at, at, at multiple times in our past. So, 
life, and, you know, and this is funny, it's, it's Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum in, in, uh, in, in uh, Jurassic Park, said, life will find a way. Right. Right. That's yeah. a great quote, because even though it's fake, I do believe that. I think life will find a way. And the black smoker vents in the bottom of the dark ocean are an indicator they're teeming with life. Right. So, you know, life will find a way. That's great. One thing, before we leave this question, one thing that, that occurred to me was you've got um, the anthropic principle, whether you, you know, which is, is that where we are is just perfect for the kind of life that we are, and you could turn it around and say that's a circular argument, say, well, you know, we just, we're here because of the conditions, not the conditions aren't here because of us. But you mentioned the proximity of these planets to one another. Um, which would affect, I would think, and you're the expert in this, uh, would that not affect gravitation and other, and climate and other things that determine what kind of life there would be? Physical life, Well, anyway? it, yes, as a matter of fact, let's consider that for the Earth, we have a moon. And we don't know whether any of these planets have moons, but let's consider for a moment that they don't. Okay, the moon affects our tides, and it created tidal pools, but don't forget, the closer you are to your star, the stronger the star's gravity is. So tides on these small planets, or on these planets, which are all about Earth's size, by the way, that's really clever. But they, they, they were able to discern that. Um, the tides determine a lot of the evolutionary pathways that will occur, too, because they will make a fish stay out of water for a period of time, and thus those they will die, or they will long-term mutate to something that can handle short periods out of the water, and that, of course, can lead to longer periods out of the water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that, on the TRAPPIST-1 system, the planets being close together, perhaps the gravitational influence of all these planets will affect each other along with that star and cause the most incredibly complicated tidal charts you've ever seen <laughs> if you're trying to navigate an ocean on one of these planets. Um, it's probably going to be uh, true that only planets uh, E, F, and G, the, the, you know, three that are slightly more outermost than the others, uh, will have liquid water on their surface. Uh, and the, the other ones, the inner ones, B, C, and D, probably will be too parched uh, to have water. But I think that, you know, life depends on gravitational influences. The moon has affected us, as I said, and the, the gravity of the star and these other planets will affect what happens on them as well. Okay. Ben, well, who's next? Well, we have yet more questions for Mark. So this is from Sherry in Muncie, Indiana. And uh, Sherry writes to us, can Mark D'Antonio comment on this? Uh, we have discovered these seven, these seven new planets. How many planets outside of our solar system do we know, do we now know about? That's a, that's a great question. Um, and for any of your listeners who would like to know this for sure, uh, my friend Hanno Rain, who is uh, uh, a brilliant guy, wrote an application for the iPhone, uh, and I think it's available for uh, Android as well, called Exoplanet. And it gives you uh, the latest details. It has the TRAPPIST-1 system in it as of yesterday. And it gives you all the details on the planet. It tells you where they are around the star, all the physical components and details that we know. And that... Uh, application again is called Exoplanet, and the number right now sits at around 3,400. We're just at about 3,400 stars. 3,400. Uh, wow. 3,400 planets that we've discovered around stars. Yeah. Wow. 
That's better than Star Trek. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, it's a, it's also a small sampling to remember because these were based on the Kepler data, which were looking at a hundred thousand stars originally. Mm-hmm. But then they have the Karat system, they have HARP, they have the uh, Trappist telescope, they have all these other ways to look at things. Now, the James Webb telescope is going up next year, and the James Webb telescope uh, is going to be able to sniff the atmospheres of these distant exoplanets as well. Wow. So now. We're going to be able to look at the Trappist system. You can bet your, yourself on that one. And we're going to be able to see whether there's industrial pollutants, oxygen, uh, any atmosphere at all uh, around these planets. And, again, we don't know any of this. We, we suspect there might be a, a, an atmosphere because we have one. And because atmospheres are natural, they're actually a natural uh, outgrowth of planetary formation. And whether the planet can hold on to it depends on a million things, the energy uh, output from the star, if it's too much, it can strip the atmosphere away. Uh, the gravity of the planet has to be able to hold down the lighter elements that will form an atmosphere and so forth. But the key item is the magnetic field. Okay, A planet has to have a magnetic field to be able to generate the protective sheath around it to prevent the high-energy particles from ripping the atmosphere uh, apart, disassociating, splitting the molecules of water vapor, say, uh, in the atmosphere and causing the planet to eventually, over millions of years, become parched. And, you know, so we have about 3,400 planets we know of, but looking at the global population in the galaxy and statistical analysis of all of the possibilities of the stars that we have yet to even look at, if what we found so far is any indication, we could be looking at as few as 10 billion habitable planets just in our galaxy, or as many as 40 billion um, at the high end. That's a controversial number, that upper end, but but that's that's say let's say the minimum ten billion chances of of other life out there in a habitable zone of a planet of a habitable zone habitable zone of a zone of a star. So that's that's a strong possibility. Wow. There's actually more, like a couple other parts to this question. That was just the first part. Okay. So you already okay. sort of answered the second part, which was how much do we really know about these planets, which is yeah, a lot more than I expected. Um she goes on to ask, isn't it true that climate and the kind of land, or I, I'm, I'm assuming geology, uh, determine whether uh, civilizations can rise? Well, that's interesting because all we have is ourselves to you know, use as a, a model. Um, based on the fact that we know there's no ocean-dwelling intelligence, uh, on the Earth, we assume that there's probably no ocean-dwelling intelligence on another planet. And that we gather just by looking at the sea life and where how its evolution has taken it, where it's taken it. Now, we don't know. Um, but so we suspect, and we're probably going to look for, land masses uh, and ocean and, uh, you know, on another exoplanet. And we're going to do that because we're looking, again, for life like us. Now, I think that kind of narrows our scope too much. I think that we have the ability to look for other types of life, but we don't know exactly what we're looking for, do we? So uh, it's going to be going to be kind of hard. Well, before we go to break, uh, Mark, I wanted to uh, just bring up that I suppose I'm the only one listening who's interested in this because of my seminary background. But I can't help but notice the name Trappist as the name of this system, and the Trappists are a Roman Catholic order of monks. And that's where I began to learn meditation, as a matter of fact, when I was in the seminary. 
Is there a re- do we know the reason why this system is this star rather is 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 called Trappist one two or three or whatever? I think that was just the uh, I think the uh, Trappist name uh, is the result of the telescope that found it. Okay. Oh, uh, I think the telescope was named Trappist. I have to look up. Uh, oh, shows what I, I know. I never heard of it. Don't know. I haven't. Well, I mean, uh, there. Uh, I, I think that this, this is a the Trappist is an acronym. Okay, it stands for Transiting Planets and Planetesimal Small Telescope. Oh, okay. Well, okay. so much for that. That's, that's a mouthful. All right. Yeah, but it, it's T R A P P I S T, and I don't know if that's the same as that's it is the same Trappist. spelling. Yeah, yeah. That's just, I'm sure that there was somebody on the team that thought of this as a, a cool parallel. <laughs> um, but again, it, it's transiting planets and planetesimal. Small telescope. That's what it stands for. It's, it's kind of a strange name, but um, it is, uh, as you can see, uh, capable of, of producing some very fascinating finds. Ah, okay. There we are. Right. Well, with that, let's uh, transit to uh, our break. And you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Also co-hosted today, open line show by our good friend Mark D'Antonio. And uh, we were broadcasting here from the beautiful Blackstone River Valley, 70th year broadcasting with WOON 1240, and we'll be right back. Stick with us. This is Bob Vila, and my daily home improvement tip will help you keep those little problems around the house from becoming big ones. The Bob Vila Home Improvement Tip of the Day can be heard every day on ON 1240 WON Socket Radio at 745 in the morning. The Bob Vila Home Improvement Tip of the Day is brought to you by Cumberland Kitchen and Bath Design Center in the McDonald's Plaza, Menden Road in Cumberland. Visit them online at cumberlandkitchen.com. And we're back behind the paranormal here with our guest co-host, Mark D'Antonio. And we have several charities that we have adopted on the show, and we'll talk about those during our announcement period. But for now, let's get back to uh, Mark, who's uh, supposed to be a co-host, but is pretty much kind of a guest because he knows about all these subjects uh, we've been talking about so far, um, primarily the new planets around the TRAPPIST-1 star system uh, that seem to be <coughs> possible uh, havens of life in some cases. So let's uh, let's go on to another subject here, and this is from uh, Kim Lee in Henderson, Nevada, and, and this is a UFO question, so maybe we can all get into this. Have you guys ever heard of any UFO contactee that says they were contacted by anyone from one of these planets that has just been discovered? Now <laughs> we're kind of going from the into a whole new realm here, Mark. Uh, to, to talk about speculation on steroids. I see that. Well. Um I, I can suspect that the answer from you and Ben is, gee, no, okay? Okay. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, there's no way to tell, is there? Well, I mean, we, we there, never say no, we never tell. say yes, really. We just simply see what we what we see and present it, and people can make their own decisions. Well, well I like, you have I more like data to go on than what you talk about. Today. Yeah. I do like the question because of the fact that it shows that, that People are thinking about uh, life being extraterrestrial instead of, you know, the next house over. Yeah. And I really like that. I mean, I also see a time in the future where, um, you know, we're going to have family members, not now, not probably in the next 400 years or so, but we'll have family members that are on colonies here in our solar system or, or maybe even other planets, and that there will be a, 
uh, a faster than light method of getting there. You know, we already know of several uh, that are on the drawing board and, and even funded. So um, if we can see this in our primitive technological state that we have as human beings, then I'm sure that a longer life uh, civilization out there that's been around for, oh, say, just another 100,000 years even or a million years has probably crossed that bridge a long time ago mm. and figured out how to span the gulf between stars. And that's something that I think we're going to eventually get to. But right now it's just science fiction for us until it's not. Well, you know how frustrated we get, Mark, with the uh, anthropocentric nature, in other words, the human-centered paradigm uh, with which many people approach these things. For example, uh, in this question that was just asked, you, you would never, you, you can't expect an alien race that, that's sort of equivalent to, uh, that would even consider us as equals, uh, coming in, uh, on even in the, in the nuts and bolts craft and, uh, for example, um, labeling the planet the same, in the same terms as we would. In other words, nobody's gonna come leaping out of their ship and say, hello, I'm from Trappist 1H. You know. Uh, if, if they That's did give right. a, a name or anything like that, it would probably be entirely different, and they wouldn't even have the, the name of our planet. This, these are things that seem to be pretty fundamental, but that a lot of people don't seem to consider. So, uh, theoretically, if there was someone who could communicate or, or even wanted to with us uh, from this one of these planets, um, how would we even know it was from that particular planet? I mean, with all these other things being equal, which is a big if, too. So that's Well, I think Mark hit the nail on the head indirectly on this question and a lot of different questions, is we base everything off of the assumptions of things that we we think we already know. Like, we think yeah. that, you know, modern life as we know it would have, you know, two eyes, two legs, two arms, and, you know, they'd, be, they'd have the same relative intelligence as we would, but that's probably not the case. I mean, so I, I think that basing things off of assumptions of things that we think we know is probably the dangerous portion of it I, I think i agree with that because if we if we didn't go through five major extinction events and basically have to start over who knows where our evolution would have taken taken us and or how long it would have taken for homo sapiens sapiens what we are to get to where we are i mean technically as bipedal hominids we're only four million years old and you know it took a long time for evolution to instill or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, mutate to having uh, the intelligence that we have. Now, the other thing I wanted to say about that question before was uh, to to wonder if some of the uh, alien life, if there if there was alien life there, being from Trappist One that visit us, we have to look at why would they find us. The question is in our situation with our planet, an ordinary planet, you know, has a 24-hour day, spins around a lot of times, it goes around the sun. Um, in a 24-hour in a day, uh, no, I'm sorry, in, in, on our planet, we have the idea that we're going to find other planets that circle their sun with a 24-hour day, and that maybe life, you know, will find life like us on some of those. And to us, the oddball is a tidally locked planet like the 7R, where they're the same size always facing their star. Now, from their point of view, let's say there's life on, say, Trappist-F, okay, Trappist-1-F. They think that their planets are normal. So they think that, well, all, all planets are, all, all the planets are close to their star, and, you know, they all face the same, you know, same side toward their star. Is that not normal? 
you know, until they reach that plateau where they start going down that technological path to see that that's not the case, then they'd have no reason to actually look for a planet like ours. They would look for other tidally locked planets really close to their star. You know, maybe they, if, if they found Mercury around our star, they would not expect that Mercury uh, could be habitable because it'd be too cold unless they understood that our star is that much more intense. It's, the luminous output is huge compared to this. Uh, their star. So it's all a matter of what they consider normal. Okay. Well, now now we're launching, we have a question from Christopher in St. Louis. And Christopher asks, and this is something that kind of launches us out into space here. Good pun. Yeah. When, we, when we're dealing with alien life forms and contact takes place, why is it that we don't have reports of diseases to which we have no immunity? And why are they, presumably means the aliens, not dying from the diseases they catch from us to which they have no immunity. That's no, a it's good like, question. It's like War of the Worlds, almost. Yeah, it's right. It, it sounds like more like a War of the Worlds. But I, I I could only hazard the same kind of guess as, as you could, I'm sure, but um, yeah, who knows? I, I, maybe they do die. You know, Maybe they're replaced. Or maybe, uh, as, as I tend to think, maybe what we're seeing visiting us here, or suspect is visiting us here, are not True beings, but biological robots. That's uh, been that theorized, yeah. yeah. Not and, Nigel and Kerner and other people thinking that, yeah. Yeah, I that. I I thought that for quite a while uh, now because I think that you know if they are done, they they just recycle them and create new ones. You know, so maybe they do die. Maybe they do get our diseases. Okay, uh, or maybe they wear you know maybe the the gray with the almond-shaped eyes, maybe that's actually some form of an of a, a environmental suit. Yeah. Uh, and there's a creature under there. Who knows? And we don't know. <clears throat> we just don't know. Well, one guest suggested, I can't remember who it was, but was interested in our idea of the multiverse here, and you, you share that to, to a great degree, Mark, that when you have something like the Roswell crash in bodies, that... Um, you know, simply different versions of them continue elsewhere, and death is sort of a sort of a minor inconvenience. You know, so I mean, who knows? Um, okay, you know, now, now we have um, leading from that. There is uh, someone sent me a uh, link to. As a matter of fact, I saw it on your page uh, this morning, your your Facebook page, Mark. Um, if ghosts were real, Brian Cox claims CERN, the uh, Large Hadron Collider we sometimes talk about, would have found them by now. The idea being that uh, the whole spirit world thing is against the laws of physics in our world. Uh, and we we, uh, I, we tend to agree, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, uh, the entire spirit world idea can't exist because they would defy the laws of physics. Uh, we agree with that. However... If we accept the antiquated spiritualist idea of what ghosts are, that's true. On the other hand, if we accept the multiverse idea uh, that our consciousness, or maybe even our superconsciousness as a biosphere, uh, are or is in constant and elegant interplay with parallel worlds, um, each with different laws of physics and many with different versions of itself, a new understanding of ghosts and the paranormal is entirely possible. And, and I made the point, maybe that's why I could stand in that kitchen in 1974 in Bridgeport with first responders all around me, and we all saw this refrigerator float. That kind of thing. So that was just a point I thought um, you might want to comment on, since I found some of that on your page. Well, um, um, I don't remember that particular story, but I do uh, 
Yeah, I was nodding while you were saying that, but you couldn't see me. Uh, for falling that, asleep? Was. No, I wasn't nodding. I wasn't falling asleep. Or, or in agreement, um, okay. And yeah, I was nodding. Yeah, it was in agreement. Because <clears throat> I, uh, you know, there, there's been some research into parallel universes, and I, you know, we've, we've always known in astronomy that there's just doesn't seem to be enough mass at the Big Bang uh, to cause what we see. So we have theories about dark matter, dark energy, which is negative mass and so forth. This goes beyond the, 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 the simple understanding. But the, the thing is, when we look at a universe that has potentially more than one universe, all coexistent, um, we have to consider that maybe there is some bleed through from one to the next. And perhaps, uh, and this has been my thought for a number of years now, as you already know, um, perhaps what people call ghosts aren't really ghosts at all. They're probably not spirit apparitions or anything like that. Or maybe it's just bleed through from a parallel world for, mm. for a second. Yeah, We can see something going on. Uh, and this is something that, you know, I, I am very familiar with, too, because... You know, I had uh, a number of experiences that I can't explain where I was looking right at uh, a little dog lying on the floor of my special effects shop. And it was semi-transparent. I couldn't understand, you know, couldn't understand it. And you've heard me tell you this story. Sure. And I was working on a prop for a movie. I was having a good time. And I was looking at this thing, and it was a dog. And I'm staring right at it, thinking, you know, this is weird. And I'm moving my head around, seeing if it's something in my vision, a floater or whatever. But it had some form, but it kind of looked like uh, the, the, the uh, human face creature, not human, but uh, uh, the, the creature we saw in the abyss, uh, where it was made of water, but it didn't have any shine to it. It was just sort of dull. And so I got up and I walked over to it and it looked like it was, I hate to say it this way, but it looked like it was curled up licking itself. And I couldn't see any real structure to it. I could just tell it was a dog when it first came in because it was bouncing in. And I could kind of see it come in and then it turned and sat down. When I stepped on it, um, my world changed. Because when I stepped in this thing, and, and you know, I, I've said this before, and I always get uncomfortable saying it because it does violate everything uh, that I'm I supposed to believe in. When I stepped on it, uh, it got up and ran away. But when it did, it took my foot with it. And, you know, it felt like somebody was wrapping a bungee cord around the bottom of my ankle and the back side of my ankle and running forward as fast as they could. I could feel it stretching, 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 and then wham, my, my foot slipped, you know, flies off from under me, and I fell right down and hit my shoulder on the uh, on a, a workbench in the shop, and I landed on the floor. And this thing had, had, had what I thought, managed what might be called rudimentary communication. All right? Now, it didn't pay attention to me and didn't do anything, didn't say anything. I didn't get voices on my head telling me to, you know, kill my doggy or whatever. I mean, it just did this. It was there. It did this. And I was totally blown away by this. And so I ended up having to uh, go visit some astrophysics friends and talk about the parallel universe thing. I discovered that there's some research papers that were actually just a couple years ago that were done that say, uh, two of them. One said, we believe parallel universes exist, and, you know, here's why. And the second one was, uh, well, we also believe parallel universes exist, and we think we've identified the topology of how they're laid out. Uh, and this is something that I think is going to become uh, 
real science potentially. Mm-hmm. If it's not a whole bunch of, of, of misperceptions on humankind's part, my part and other people's, then this is going to become some real science someday. And uh, right now, we can't say it's real science. We can just say that it, it goes in the same realm as other things that are, quote, paranormal. But to me, it's science undiscovered. That's my right. phrase that I've always used. I love that term. Yeah. There it is. Okay, Ben, I think we have um, time for at least one more question here. We'll get into something completely different. And, uh, uh, do I talk that we, much? No, no, no. My, my every word is absolutely fascinating. Well, I well, guess. I don't want to be like Dominic on you. I'm supposed to co host, right? Hey, wait, we have more shows coming. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, we got the Jose from uh, Somerville, Somerville, South Carolina. South Carolina. So Jose writes to us. Uh, I have heard uh, you talk about Bigfoot being seen with UFOs. Has he ever been seen with ghosts? This may be getting into some of the stuff we talk about flap areas, and, and Mark has, is working with us on <clears throat> at least one. We're gonna, he doesn't know it yet. We're going to drag him into the uh, Pennsylvania case as soon as we can. And uh, we, Uh-oh. We, yeah, uh, it, that's right. <laughs> uh, both Shane and, and uh, I have had uh, what I can only describe as a, as Bigfoot sightings. You know, it's, it's another long story. Anyway, uh, to get back to Jose's question, um, it, it's very often thought of popularly that uh, in areas of UFO sightings, and there have been there have been Bigfoot sightings as well, uh, which would fit into the idea of the flap area as uh, being a, a place where many, many intersect points, if this multiverse thing is true, uh, between various worlds and Bigfoot comes and goes, which is what the Native Americans will tell you, and the strange lights are sometimes seen in all this business. Um, but the question, I think, uh, says, you know, if, if the uh, all things being equal in flap areas, there are also things people think of as ghosts, shadow people, and all these terms we use, uh, has Bigfoot been seen in the context of a haunting situation in the classic sense. And uh, I would have to say yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, there's, it by, I don't think I've ever seen it. But, uh, but I don't know if you've never seen it. Maybe you just don't remember. Probably not. Uh, in, at the Torrington House in Connecticut. Well, I've never seen Bigfoot in the same place as Ghost. Well, you, you felt, and I remember you saying this because I made a note of it, uh, you felt that it was very dark. This is the same night we got the picture of that very strange tadpole-like thing coming down out of the tree. Yeah. In November uh, 19... Uh, I should, uh, November, oh, um, November 2010. Yes. Okay. And very, very cold. Okay. And we were on around the back of the property after we took that video. And you, and, Was this and we the were, Ashworth thing? This is the Ashworth thing, yeah. And okay. the... Um, as, if anybody wants to see that video, it's on our uh, Facebook page, show Facebook page, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. It's the first video... In fact, someone wrote to me this morning and said that they felt they saw a face on this thing. But, of course, pareidolia. Pareidolia. So, as you were saying. Pareidolia. Yeah. So, uh, you were saying that you felt very strongly there was a Bigfoot watching us from nearby. And Bigfoot has been seen in these locations. I vaguely remember that. Mark was with us. You you were not. Uh, And we had uh, a a witness to some Bigfoot sightings. This is in December of, of 2015. And Mark, you remember that day? It was um, a very nice December day. Uh, we had Shane with us. We had Laurie, our casting producer, and we had uh, 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 one of the witnesses who was uh, there. And we had a very pleasant walk through this uh, the Sheepog Railroad Tunnel. It's now a state park. So, so it was that area. So that's all within the realm of what we call this Litchfield Triangle. And uh, so I, th- that's a long answer to a short question. Yes, I believe 
that uh, in the same areas where the processes allow Bigfoot to manifest, if we're right about that, and other cryptids as well, you also have uh, ghosts, uh, although not in necessarily the same context yet, as you would see Bigfoot associated with UFOs in the popular mind. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'd have to give a well, qualified yes to that question. And I would just counter with, um, I think that there might be some, uh, some taxonomy, if you will, out there, you know, animals that we don't know, and, and, and maybe they live remotely, and maybe remotely is where the UFOs like to show up. So sure. They get I mean, who knows? Without any connection whatsoever. That's yeah. a possibility. And, there, that's also a definite know. possibility, yeah. Well, I say, we make no claims. We simply suggest sure ideas. Even here. Sorry, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. No, no, so that's um, yeah, just my personal opinion. I think that's certainly possible, and maybe I've seen it, so I don't know. So that, that's uh, what we'd say to that. What do we got next, Ben? Uh, well, let's go for a, a, a short one. I was wondering, this is uh, from Tim in, Tim in Redmond, uh, Washington, and he writes, I was wondering what your thoughts were on demon possessions, a parasite fully taking possession of a human. All right, well, you want to tackle that one, or should I? Because um, Well, we can always go back and forth. All right, yeah. Mar- I'll tell you what, I'll just sit this one out. <laughs> well, no, Robert, jump into it. Because you always have, you're a renaissance scientist. You always have uh, interesting points of view on all, because, because the same principles of undiscovered science may re- certainly relate to all these things. So, uh, Well, I, the concept of a demon is the whole thing that I, I you know. Oh, me too. Why is it called a demon? You know, well, that's, it, well that's, that's how our folklore uh, can conceive of it in its oh. narrow paradigm, and we call them parasites. Yes. Well, only over the last 20 years have people's minds been starting to change on what is really going on. Yeah. Because people, people trying to to um, vocalize questions to us, it's still in the same terms of, oh, well, what about spirit blah, or spirit this, or spirit that, and then we respond with, they're not spirits. But people still use the word spirit to describe these things. They do, because they don't necessarily mean it. Well, let let me respond to the very last... Can I have this, please? The very very last part of this this statement, because it's something I I certainly take exception with. A parasite, or at least he uses the word parasite, fully taking possession of a human. I think the dangerous thing is how the question's worded, because it assumes that it's the same thing, and it's it's not. Well, not just that, but I don't believe that that occurs. I've been involved in possession cases, things that were called possession cases. I've been involved in ten different exorcisms, uh, although many years ago as a seminary student, and I just, it was was a priest doing the exorcism thing, doctors from the, the... psychiatric hospital were there uh, because you know things are flying off shelves across the room obviously this is not this person uh, doing this because of schizophrenia or any other chemical imbalance or psychosis all right things were happening outside the control of the patient hence in we came now the idea of I, I've never seen a situation where I thought the thing took complete possession of the human I in in many lady Many uh, years later, looking back on this, I think what we might uh, have been seeing was a, a point of intersect between where this and, and consciousness and the unity of consciousness as we see it is indiscriminate in the multiverse. I believe what we were seeing was a point at which the parasitical entity, which is not human, it's just a life form that feeds around and across the boundaries of parallel worlds, in our in our opinion, in our experience, um, a point where this being had a point of identity, some place or some time, somewhere, somewhere in the multiverse, where they shared an identity, shared a being. 
uh, it does not obliterate the individuality of either creature, either the, the human or the parasite, but there was a point of bonding that occurred. And I believe that in every case I saw, the person had to have a tacit agreement that it wanted to do this. And in many cases, they almost liked it. Maybe if only because of the attention they were getting. So that was my theory, and like, they're going to listen to me. You know, I'm a 21-year-old seminary student, and I hadn't, I hadn't really assembled these theories yet. So I, I, I've never seen, I don't think it's possible for something to take full possession of you. You, you are always, I've never seen anybody that's so far gone when I could say that, that that would happen. But that, those are my thoughts on demon possession, and, and to answer the question, uh, Ben, uh, you may have some thoughts, and Mark, as an uh, in, independent uh, objective observer on that phenomenon, might have some opinions as well. Well, I, I think really the, the thing to keep in mind is that we're, we're all participants in everything that, that everything has to do observe, with... Yeah. yeah, essentially. you know, we're, we're not the sole catalysts of things that happen. We just happen to be bystanders that get swept up in it. It's like watching, you know, like, like a like a train wreck or something, you know. You're an onlooker, but you're also participating in the event. So it's, I think the the whole problem is getting our mind out of, oh, well, nothing I do has any consequence, hmm. because, you know, everything I do just affects me, which is not really the case, because everything we do affects everything else around us. Well, the Heisenberg yeah. uncertainty principle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think, I think um, just because a parasite's there doesn't mean it needs to be acknowledged or even, you know, attached to sort of... That that sort of agreement that's made between both the parties, or you, somewhere, somewhere, you already are the parasite, and the parasite is you. Well, exactly. Well, we're almost out of time, Mark. I, I, you can respond to that certainly, but first, tell us where people can find out more about you, website, and where we understand you have a book you're working on. Yeah, I've actually, uh, I have it up now. I'm I'm, I'm at uh, www.fxmodels.com. That's Foxtrot X-ray M as in MikeFXModel.com. That's my visual effects business and model-making business. But you can reach me there through email uh, and phone. And uh, you can also uh, find out more about the uh, UFO hunting system that we're creating called UFOTOG2. That one is, I'm doing that with Douglas Trumbull, who, of course, is the Academy Award-winning visual effects guy, creator of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind special effects with uh, Steven Spielberg. And, and and many, many more. Um, and his site is uh, DouglasTrumbull.com. And uh, and as far as uh, conferences, I got a number of conferences I'm doing. this uh, In March, I'm doing the New Life Expo in New York City. I'm doing uh, the Pine Bush concert. Concert. <laughs> it's going to be a concert, oh, why not? sure. Uh, in May, up in uh, New York. And then uh, I'm doing a Roswell conference in in. June, July, and September, I'm doing uh, the Devil's Tower 40th Anniversary of Close Encounters of the Third Kind Conference. Wow, that's great. Which is going to be pretty cool. In October, we'll be seeing uh, you at the uh, Lemon and Lemonster Mass at the Greater New England UFO Conference. Yeah, I didn't go all the way to October, but yeah, in October I'll be doing that. Great, we'll be yep. seeing you there. Absolutely. Well, we'll be seeing you, uh, pack your bags from Pennsylvania, we'll be in touch off the air. Aye, aye, aye. Oh, okay. Okay. Mark, <laughs> thanks. Ready. It's always terrific. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're, you're, you're not a guest. You're a co-host. Stick with us. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know. 
That, that's true, and yeah. I kind of went right into that. I apologize. Yeah, but so dazzled. Anyway, okay, Ben, take it away. So our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can get it. It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online re- retailers. Uh, but if you're uh, really serious, you can get an autographed copy at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, or our main website, NewEnglandGhosts.com. All right, uh, our next public appearance and book event will be this coming Saturday, March 4th, at the Barnes & Noble Bookstore in Hadley, Massachusetts. We'll do a presentation and book signing from 2 to 5 p.m. And the next week after that, Saturday, March 11th, uh, you will find us at the Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore in Webster, Massachusetts, for a presentation and signing beginning at 2 p.m. And the following week, Saturday, March 18th, uh, we'll be presenting and signing at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, major events where we where will be speakers uh, this spring will include the 2017 Northeast Parafest in Kittery, Maine, our, uh, April 29th, the Saucer Symposium at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire, on May 20th, 21st, and on the 21st, we'll do uh, this show live, noon to 1 p.m., from that event with a panel of the speakers. And that brings us to Saturday, June 24th. Uh, we'll be back to the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut where we will do something we've never done before, a presentation specifically for young people aged 7 to 14 years of age. The program Monster Hunters, a cryptozoology workshop with Paul and Ben Eno. I can't wait to see that. Oh, geez. So new events are being added frequently. You can check those out at BehindTheParanormal.com or our show Facebook page for updates. And don't forget about our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal Case Files. And you can our fourth video will be upcoming uh, about the famous Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 1974, in which my dad worked with uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and that will be posted eventually now that things are starting to calm down in uh, the personal world and you can find our youtube channel by going to our facebook ch- page or just typing in behind the paranormal with paul and ben Eno on youtube and meanwhile uh, find out more about the show our public appearances and more at behind the where you'll find uh, nearly 700 free recorded shows from both on 1240 here and our four and a half year run on cbs radio along with special shows and podcasts you'll also find a link to mark antonio's site fxmodels.com and we will um uh, we're going to make that real prominent. Uh, many of you uh, will be happy to know that this site and NewEnglandGhost.com are being redesigned and some new features and better interfaces, including submission forms for uh, reports, things of this kind, will be taking uh, taking it, their places on that site. Uh, you can find my other books at uh, Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble, The Usual Suspects. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I or we, as the case may be, will be happy to autograph them for you, and you'll help us keep all those podcasts and uh, recorded shows free. Okay, Ben, uh, what do we have um, coming week? up next week? So next Sunday, March 5th, uh, be, we expect a rather controversial show. Our guest will be Jim Lansdale of the Destination America show, Killing Bigfoot, who is expecting some tum- tough questions, not only on his evidence, but on the ethics of his group's attempts to shoot a Bigfoot. Yeah, well, our casting producer and I got on the phone with him uh week or so ago and said, you guys expect some tough questions. Anyway, we'll leave you this afternoon with a very moving thought from Mark Twain, who usually said things that were funny. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining hey. us. On our, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Close the show. I'm, Go. I'm, a, I'm a co-host. It was actually more like a guest, unfortunately. I apologize. And thanks for joining us on this great cosmic journey. And we'll see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now 
for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben 